0: On the dairy farm where I grew up, nine miles south of Litchfield, Minnesota, among the gentle rolls and swells between Lake Minnebel to the east and Star Lake to the west, the barn radio was always tuned to eight three zero on the AM dial, WCCO out of Minneapolis, good neighbor to the Great Northwest as it was known. Dad would get up at four to do the morning milking; a cup or two of cold coffee would get him started. He'd always make a pot the night before so that it would be cool enough by the time he woke up. I have often believed that he should have been credited with inventing iced coffee or frappuccino or mulatte, which eventually popped up at Starbucks and Dairy Queen and the like, going for a hefty several bucks a pop. Into the barn by five, call the cows in from the pasture in the warmer months, or rouse them from their somnolence with some fresh bales of hay dropped through the chute from the hay barn above. They stayed inside during the coldest months. In the early mornings, he and the cows would listen and laugh along with Boone and Erickson, their avuncular repartee laced with groaner jokes and interspersed with farm market reports, CBS headline news, once in a while some music. In winter, of course, there were the school closing announcements in alphabetical order, helpfully enough if the storms warranted a one-hour or a two-hour late start or, glory be, a full day off. During the school year in bad weather, no matter where he was in the milking routine, Dad would put everything on hold in order to drive us out to the end of the quarter-mile-long potholed gravel driveway to wait for the bus, which came at seven for the ride into town. School started at eight, let out around three, off the bus and home by around 4.15, a little Gilligan's Island at 4.30 and Hogan's Heroes at 5, and then supper, and then out to help with chores. Late afternoons on CCO, it was the Cannon mess, with Steve Cannon and his stable of alter-ego voices, Ma Linger and Bad Bart and the others. During the night milking, it would often be, depending on the season, Twins Baseball, Halsey Hall's voice seemed rolled in gravel. North Stars hockey, Al Shaver's piercing, he shoots and he scores, would ricochet like a puck around the barn, caroming off the fieldstone walls. Or there might be an hour of CBS Radio Mystery Theater. What a hoot to imagine how they made those great sound effects a door opening and closing. Shoes walking across the floor. Glass breaking. A gunshot! Then, at 10.30, Franklin Hobbs and Hobbs House, music through the night. His rich, buttery, baritone voice went down like comfort food and felt like being wrapped in a warm blanket. I almost envied the cows. In the winter, when it was too cold for them to go outside, Dad left the radio turned on, way down low, all night long, for the cows to listen. He was convinced it helped increase their production and the percentage of butterfat in the milk. I believe he also did it because he loved them. Wednesday nights throughout junior high, there was confirmation at church at 7, Beckville Lutheran Church, a mile north on the gravel road that ran past our farm. Afterwards, homework for an hour, then a frozen pizza baked in the oven and a huge bowl of Rocky Road ice cream, both delivered monthly by the Schwanz man from his vanilla yellow freezer truck, while watching a show called Petrocelli at nine. More about that in a second. News at 10 on Channel 4. Some homework, read myself to sleep. The complete original illustrated Sherlock Holmes from my sister Anne for Christmas took me part way through ninth grade. Through high school, I increasingly gravitated away from home and TV toward activities and relationships in town bands, choirs, theater, both on stage and working on sets and lights, speech team, an after school job at the public library, 4 H meetings, uh, the original Star Wars movies. All-night Dungeons & Dragons adventures on the weekends. I was an elf, magic user, lawful good. Back to junior high for a minute. Back to that show Petrocelli. The title character, played by Barry Newman, was a lawyer who solved mysteries. One of the ongoing subplots involved his never being able to make much progress on a house he was trying to build for himself and his wife, on whom I admit I had a bit of a crush on the outskirts of a city somewhere in the desert southwest. Quite an exotic part of the country to a Minnesota farm kid. He didn't get very far on the house from one episode to the next because, you see, he kept taking cases on behalf of folks who, for whatever reason, couldn't afford to pay him. He was a champion for justice on behalf of people on the margins. A voice for the voiceless. And that meant something to me. Even at that age, it mattered. Why was that? And why did it matter that my dad drove us out to the bus in bad weather, or that he left the radio on in the barn for the cows? And why did those years of D&D adventuring, and the stories we portrayed in our little high school theater, the Diary of Anne Frank, the Glass Menagerie, the Music Man, why did all that matter to us, to the people in our lives, to the world that we inhabit now? And why did it matter that every week during music time at the start of Sunday school at the little country church down the gravel road, we would sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And, perhaps especially, how did it matter that we sang that song while the forces of death danced in Vietnam? And Martin and Robert were gunned down And the grainy black-and-white images of the Apollo astronauts beamed into our living room from what seemed a universe away. And all these decades later, how does it still matter in the shadow of George Floyd and Ukraine and Gaza and on and on? And why did it matter that all those years of listening to CCO Radio in the Barn helped to give me the courage to announce picked out of the crowd during the cannon mess, live on the air from outside their broadcast booth at the Minnesota State Fair in late August of 1981, that I would someday be running for president. And why does it matter that the life I have actually lived since then has made it abundantly clear that that is not even remotely who I am? Singer-songwriter and my friend Carrie Newcomer puts it this way in one of her lyrics. I thought I'd live a louder life, but silence called me deeper still. I don't want to be president. I don't really want to be an elf magic user. Well, okay, maybe on some days. But I do want to live a life that matters. What does that mean? I want to live a life just between us, I also want to write a book someday that would matter to my mom and dad. Small-scale dairy farmers who never went to college or traveled outside the U.S. and who had bouts of depression and who each died surrounded by their six kids, my five siblings and me, and are now buried in the Beckville Lutheran Church graveyard down the road from the farm. What will that mean? to live a life, or to offer a podcast, or to write the book that would matter to mom and dad, whose quiet, simple lives did matter themselves, or to anyone else? What really does matter, and why? What does it mean for something or someone to matter, and how do we know? Here is some of what I think I've glimpsed so far. The everyday matters. The small, the quiet, the steadfast, the unassuming, the sacred ordinary. Those matter. Paying attention matters. Showing up. Caring for others. Caring for yourself. Those matter, too. Caring for the earth and its creatures matters. Black lives matter. More on that another time, I promise. Justice and respect, authenticity and integrity, kindness, generosity, gentleness, and speaking truth to power. All of that matters. Curiosity, wonder, music, questions, stories, facts. Feelings, memory, imagination, mind and heart, and body and spirit, truth and beauty and goodness. All right, I I don't intend this to turn into a shopping list of sorts, so thanks for bearing with me this far. A few things are occurring to me here, though, especially that mattering often, if not always, depends on context. Something matters because it matters to someone. In the same way, perhaps, that the power of a story depends on its being shared and on its being heard or received. And mattering can be fleeting in time. Meaning, significance, value seem to fade along with awareness and memory and everything else. And so it also seems like we're deep in paradox here. That people and experiences, things and details, my life and yours, can both not matter at all and that they can at the same time matter infinitely and intrinsically. So, all the pieces I have woven in earlier, scattered details about the rhythms and routines of a particular dairy farm family set to the soundtrack of CCO radio playing in the barn, frozen pizza and Rocky Road ice cream and D&D and Petrocelli caring about folks on the margins. None of that matters, and all of that matters. We will circle back to wondering and glimpsing possibilities around what really matters in some future episodes along the way. And along the way, there will be plenty of room to consider that, well, maybe nothing really does matter. And in that, we would have plenty of company. From the ancient epic of Gilgamesh and the biblical book of Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. To the Greek, Sisyphus, pushing the same rock up the same hill for all eternity. To the Borg in Star Trek, reminding us that resistance is futile. Or, in the name of paradox, There's the Lord of the Rings, Frodo Baggins, and his hobbit companions from the quiet, obscure, overlooked backwater of the Shire, who in fact go on to save all of Middle-earth precisely because of their insignificance, their ability to not be interested in grasping for power, and instead their ability to cast the Ring of Power back into the fires of Mount Doom. Or the children's classic, Dr. Seuss, Horton Hears a Who? We are here, we are here, we are here, we are here! And the Lorax, who speaks for the trees, both of which stories remind us that it's precisely the unseen, the unseeable, and the voiceless, that matter. And it's a life of seeing the unseeable and of being the voice with and for the voiceless that is, in fact, a life that matters. The kind of paradox I'm pointing to is voiced by the Ellie Arroway character, played by Jodie Foster in the great film Contact, based on the Carl Sagan novel many years ago now, who so beautifully testifies near the end that I had an experience that showed me how small and insignificant and how rare and precious we all are. A friend of mine pointed out to me recently that it's taken some 13.8 billion years to get to the here and now, to get to you, to get to me. In that vast sweep of time and space, how can anything or anyone be said to matter? And yet, having taken that much time, how can it not? This podcast is an attempt a scattering or collection of attempts over time and across several episodes, to try some ideas on for size, to wonder aloud, to sift through memory and story as I have this time, panning for some grains of nuggets of possibility, sometimes on my own and sometimes in conversation with guests, to see if I, if we can sit still and be quiet enough to catch even a fleeting glimpse of what matters. And beyond that, to invite you, ever so gently, softly, slowly now, to turn your gaze in the same direction so that we can share a glimpse together without startling it back into hiding or scaring it into taking flight. Among the 13.8 billion year sweep of it all, Just two questions to leave you with this time. What really does matter to you, and why? And how does that make a difference in how you show up in your life from day to day? And this week's practice. Bring to mind and heart someone in your life who is living a life that matters someone who matters to you, and then tell them that. Thanks for listening to Pause, Purpose, Possibility. I'm Chris Johnson, grateful as always that you're here and that you are who you are in and for the world.